0: Section 28 of The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 2. Edited by Charles F. Horn, Rossiter Johnson, and John Rudd. Caesar Conquers Gaul, B.C. 58-50. to by napoleon the third part two the Belovaki and their allies informed by the fugitives of the death of coreos of the loss of their cavalry and the flower of their infantry and fearing every moment to see the romans appear convoked by sound of trumpet a general assembly and decided by acclamation to send deputies and hostages to the proconsul the barbarians implored forgiveness alleging that this last defeat had ruined their power, and that the death of Correus, the instigator of the war, delivered them from oppression, for during his life it was not the senate which governed, but an ignorant multitude. To their prayers Caesar replied, that last year the Belovaki had revolted in concert with the other Gaulish peoples, but that they alone had persisted in the revolt. It was very convenient to throw their faults upon those who were dead, but how could it be believed, that without nothing but the help of a weak populace, a man should have had a sufficient influence to raise and sustain a war, contrary to the will of the chiefs, the decision of the senate, and the desire of honest people? However, the evil which they had drawn upon themselves was for him a sufficient reparation. The following night the Belovaki and their allies submitted, with the exception of Commius, who fled to the country from which he had but recently drawn support. He had not dared to trust the Romans for the following reason. The year before, in the absence of Caesar, T. Labinius, informed that Commius was conspiring and preparing an insurrection, thought that without accusing him of bad faith, says Hirtius, he could repress his treason. Under pretext of an interview, he sent C. Volusenus Quadratus with some centurions to kill him. But when they were in the presence of the Gaulish chief, the centurion who was to strike him missed his blow and only wounded him. Swords were drawn on both sides, and Commius had time to escape. The most warlike tribes had been vanquished, and none of them dreamed of further revolt. Nevertheless, many inhabitants of the newly conquered countries abandoned the towns and the fields in order to withdraw themselves from the roman dominion caesar in order to put a stop to this emigration distributed his army in different countries he ordered the quaestor mark antony to come to him with the twelfth legion and sent the lieutenant fabius with twenty-five cohorts into an opposite part of gaul to the country situated between the Croix and the vienne Where it was said that several tribes were in arms and where the lieutenant caninius rabilus who commanded with two legions did not appear to be sufficiently strong lastly he ordered t labinus to join him in person and to send the fifteenth legion which he had under his command into cisalpine gaul to protect the colonies of roman citizens there against the sudden inroads of the barbarians who the summer before had attacked the Tergestini, the inhabitants of Trieste. As for Caesar, he proceeded with four legions to the territory of the Eborones to lay it waste. As he could not secure Umbriorix, who was still wandering at large, he thought it advisable to destroy everything by fire and sword, persuaded that this chief would never dare to return to a country upon which he had brought such a terrible calamity. The legions and the auxiliaries were charged with the execution of this plan. Then he sent Labienus, with two legions, to the country of the Treviri, who, always at war with the Germans, were only kept in obedience by the presence of a Roman army. During this time Caninius Rebilus, who was first been appointed to go into the country of the Ruteni, but who had been detained by petty insurrections in the region, situated between the Croix and the Vienne, learned that numerous hostile bands were assembling in the country of the Pictones. He was informed of this by letters from Duratius, their king, who amid the defection of a part of his people had remained invariably faithful to the Romans. He started immediately for Lemonum Poitiers. On the road he learned from prisoners that Duratius was shut up there and besieged, by several thousand men under the orders of Dumnacus, chief of the Andes. Rabilus, at the head of two weak legions, did not dare to measure his strength with the enemy. He contented himself with establishing his camp in a strong position. At the news of his approach, Dumnacus raised the siege and marched to meet the legions, but after several days of fruitless attempts to force their camp, he returned to attack Limonum. Meanwhile, the lieutenant Caius Fabius, occupied in pacifying several other tribes, learned from Caninius Rebelus what was going on in the country of the Pictones, and marched without delay to the assistance of duratius The news of the march of Fabius deprived Dumanacus of all hope of opposing. At the same time, the troops shut up in Vlimmonum and the relieving army. He abandoned the siege again in great haste not thinking himself safe until he had placed the lawyer between himself and the romance but he could only pass the river where there was a bridge at Somor. before he had joined Rebelus, before he had even obtained a sight of the enemy fabius who came from the north and had lost no time doubted not from what he heard from the people of the country that Dumnacus in his fear had taken the road which led to that bridge he therefore marched thither with his legions preceded at a short distance by his cavalry the latter surprised the column of Dumnacus on its march dispersed it and returned to the camp laden with booty during the night of the following day fabius again sent his cavalry forward with orders to delay the march of the enemy so as to give time for the arrival of the infantry the two bodies of cavalry were soon engaged but the enemy thinking he had to contend with only the same troops as the day before, drew up his infantry in line, so as to support the squadrons, when suddenly the Roman legions appeared in order of battle. At this sight the barbarians were struck with terror, the long train of baggage thrown into confusion, and the infantry dispersed. More than twelve thousand men were killed, and all the baggage fell into the hands of the Romans. Only 5,000 fugitives escaped from this route. They were received by the Senunan, Drapes, the same who in the first revolt of the Gauls had collected a crowd of Vannagabonds, slaves, exiles, and robbers, to intercept the convoys of the Romans. They took the direction of the Narbonnese with the Cadurcan Lucterius, who had before attempted a similar invasion. Rebillus pursued them with two legions, in order to avoid the shame of seeing the province suffering any injury from such a contemptible rabble. As for Fabius, he led the twenty five cohorts against the Carnutes and the other tribes whose forces had already been reduced by the defeat they had suffered from Dumnacus. The Carnutes, though often beaten, had never been completely subdued. They gave hostages, and the Armoricans followed their example. Dumnacus, driven out of his own territory, went to seek refuge in the remotest part of Gaul. Drapes and Lucterius, when they learned that they were pursued by Rebelus and his two legions, gave up the design of penetrating into the province. They halted in the country of the Cadurci and threw themselves into the oppidum of Uxelodonum, Sol, near Varrack, an exceedingly strong place formerly under the dependence of Lucterius, who soon incited the inhabitants to revolt. Rebillus appeared immediately before the town, which, surrounded on all sides by steep rocks, was even without being defended difficult to access to armed men. Knowing that there was in the oppidum so great a quantity of baggage that the besieged could not send it away secretly without being detected and overtaken by the cavalry, and even by the infantry, he divided his cohorts into three bodies and established three camps on the highest points. Next, he ordered a countervallation to be made. On seeing these preparations, the besieged remembered the ill fortune of Alicia and feared a similar fate. Lucterius, who had witnessed the horrors of famine during the investment of that town, now took especial care of the provisions. During this time, the garrison of the oppidum attacked the doubts of Rebelus several times, which obliged him to interrupt the work of the countervalation, which, indeed, he had not sufficient forces to defend. Draps and Lucterius established themselves at a distance of ten miles from the oppidum, with the intention of introducing the provisions gradually. They shared the duties between them. Draps remained with part of the troops to protect the camp, Lucterius, during the night-time, "'endeavored to introduce beasts of burden into the town by a narrow and wooded path. "'The noise of their march gave warning to the sentries. "'Rabillus, informed of what was going on, "'ordered the cohorts to sally from the neighboring redoubts, "'and at daybreak fell upon the convoy, the escort of which was slaughtered. Lucterius having escaped with a small number of his followers, "'was unable to rejoin draps.' soon learned from prisoners that the rest of the troops which had left the oppidum were with draps at a distance of twelve miles and that by a fortunate chance not one fugitive had taken that direction to carry him news of the last combat the roman general sent in advance all the cavalry and the light german infantry he followed them with one legion without baggage leaving the other as a guard to the three camps When he came near the enemy, he learned, by his scouts, that the barbarians, according to their custom of neglecting the heights, had placed their camp on the banks of a river, probably the Dordogne, that the Germans and the cavalry had surprised them, and that they were already fighting. Rebilus then advanced rapidly at the head of the legion, drawn up in order of battle, and took possession of the heights. As soon as the ensigns appeared... The cavalry did doubled its ardor. The cohorts rushed forward from all sides, and the Gauls were taken, or killed. The booty was immense, and traps fell into the hands of the Romans. Rebilus, after this successful exploit, which cost him but a few wounded, returned under the walls of Oxalodonum. Fearing no longer any attack from without, he set resolutely to work to continue his circumvallation. The day after, C. Fabius arrived, followed by his troops, and shared with him the labors of the siege. While the south of Gaul was the scene of serious trouble, Caesar left quaestor Mark Antony, with fifteen cohorts in the country of the Belovaki. To deprive the Belgae of all idea of revolt, he had proceeded to the neighboring countries with two legions, had exacted hostages, and restored confidence by his conciliating speeches. When he arrived among the Carnutes, who the year before had been the first to revolt, he saw that the remembrance of their conduct kept them in great alarm, and he resolved to put an end to it by causing his vengeance to fall only upon Gutruatus, the instigator of the war. This man was brought in and delivered up. Although Caesar was naturally inclined to be indulgent, he could not resist the tumultuous entreaties of his soldiers, who made that chief responsible for all the dangers they had ran, and for all the misery they had suffered. Gutruatus died under the stripes and was afterwards beheaded. It was in the land of the Carnutes that Caesar received news by the letters of Rebellus, of the events which had taken place at Uxol DONUM, and of the resistance of the besieged. Although a handful of men shut up in a fortress was not very formidable, he judged it necessary to punish their obstinacy, for fear that the Gauls should entertain the conviction that it was not strength but constancy which had failed them in resisting the Romans, and least this example might encourage the other states which possessed fortresses advantageously situated to recover their independence moreover it was known everywhere among the gauls that caesar had only one more summer to to hold this command and that after that time they would have nothing more to fear he left therefore the lieutenant quintus calenus at the head of his two legions with orders to follow him by ordinary marches and with his cavalry hastened by long marches towards Oxolodunum. caesar arriving unexpectedly before the town found it completely defended at all accessible points he judged that it could not be taken by assault neque ad appugnatione resedi vidaret ulla conditione posse and as it was abundantly provided with provisions conceived the project of depriving the inhabitants of water the mountain was surrounded almost on every side by very low ground but on one side there existed a valley through which a river the tormenti ran as it flowed at the foot of two precipitous mountains the disposition of the localities did not admit of turning it aside and conducting it into lower channels it was difficult for the besieged to come down to it and the romans rendered the approaches to it still more dangerous they placed posts of archers and slingers and brought engines which commanded all the slopes which gave access to the river The besieged had thenceforth no other means of procuring water, but by carrying it from an abundant spring, which arose at the foot of the wall three hundred feet from the channel of the torment. Caesar resolved to drain this spring, and for this purpose he did not hesitate to attempt a laborious undertaking. Opposite the point where it rose, he ordered covered galleries to be pushed forward against the mountain and under protection of these, a terrace to be raised, labours which were carried on in the midst of continual fighting and weariness. Although the besieged from their elevated position fought without danger and wounded many Romans, yet the latter did not yield to discouragement, but continued the work. At the same time they made a subterranean gallery, which, running from the covered galleries, was intended to lead up to the spring. This work, carried on free from all danger, was executed without being perceived by the enemy. The terrace attained a height of sixty feet, and was surmounted by a tower of ten stories, which, without equaling the elevation of the wall, a result it was impossible to obtain, still commanded the fountain. Its approaches, battered by engines from the top of this tower, became inaccessible in consequence of this many men and animals in the place died of thirst the besieged terrified at this mortality filled barrels with pitch grease and shavings and rolled them flaming upon the roman works making at the same time a sally to prevent them from extinguishing the fire soon it spread to the covered galleries and the terrace which stopped the progress of the inflammable materials Notwithstanding the difficult nature of the ground and the increasing danger, the Romans still persevered in their struggle. The battle took place on a height within sight of the army. Loud cries were raised on both sides. Each individual sought to rival his fellow in zeal, and the more he was exposed to view, the more courageously he faced the missiles and the fire. Caesar, as he was sustaining great loss, determined to feign an assault. In order to create a diversion he ordered some cohorts to climb the hill on all sides, uttering loud cries. This movement terrified the besieged, who, fearing to be attacked at other points, called back to the defense of the wall those who were setting fire to the works. Then the Romans were unable to extinguish the flames. The Gauls, although exhausted by thirst and reduced to a small number, ceased not to defend themselves vigorously. At length, the subterranean gallery, having reached the source of the spring, the supply was turned aside. The besieged, beholding the fountain suddenly become dry, believed in their despair that it was an intervention of the gods, and, submitting to necessity, surrendered. Caesar considered that the pacification of Gaul would never be completed if as strong a resistance was encountered in other towns. He thought it advisable to spread terror by a severe example, so much the more so as the well-known mildness of his temper, says Hertius, would not allow this necessary rigor to be ascribed to cruelty. He ordered that all those who had borne arms should have their hands cut off, and send them away living examples of the punishment reserved for rebels. Dreps, who had been taken prisoner, starved himself to death. Lucterius, who had been arrested by the averman Epasconactus, a friend of the Romans, was delivered up to Caesar. While these events were taking place on the banks of Dordogne, Labienus, in a cavalry engagement, had gained a decisive advantage over part of the Trividi and Germans, had taken prisoner their chief, and thus subjected people, who were always ready to support any insurrection against the Romans. The Aedunan Surus fell also into his hands. He was a chief, distinguished for his courage and birth, and the only one of that nation, who had not yet laid down his arms. From that moment Caesar considered Gaul to be completely pacified. He resolved, however, to go himself to Aquitaine, which he had not yet visited, and which publius crassus had partly conquered arriving there at the head of two legions he obtained the complete submission of that country without difficulty all the tribes sent him hostages he proceeded next to narbonne with a detachment of cavalry and charged his lieutenants to put the army into winter quarters four legions under the orders of mark antony caius tribonius publius vatinius and q were quartered in Belgium, two among the Aedui, and two among the Turones on the frontier of the Carnutes, to hold in check all the countries bordering on the ocean. These two last legions took up their winter quarters on the territory of the Lemovices, not far from the Arverni, so that no part of Gaul should be without troops. Caesar remained but a short time in the province, presiding hastily over the assemblies. Determining cases of public dispute and rewarding those who had served him well. He had had occasion more than any one to know their sentiments individually, because during the general revolt of Gaul, the fidelity and succor of the province had aided him in triumphing over it. When these affairs were settled, he returned to his legions in Belgium and took up his winter quarters at Nemetocena, Arras. There he was informed of the last attempts of Commius, who, continuing a partisan war at the head of a small number of cavalry, intercepted the Roman convoys. Mark Antony had charged C. Volusinus Quadratus, prefect of the cavalry, to pursue him. He had accepted the task eagerly in the hope of succeeding the second time better than the first, but Commius, taking advantage of the rash ardor with which his enemy had rushed upon him, had wounded him seriously, and escaped. He was discouraged, however, and had promised Mark Antony to retire to any spot which should be appointed him, on condition that he should never be compelled to appear before a Roman. This condition having been accepted, he had given hostages. Gaul was hereby subjugated. Death or slavery had carried off its principal citizens. Of all the chiefs who had fought for its independence only two survived comius and ambriorix banished far from their country they died in obscurity end of section twenty eight